I'm going to take a stab in the dark here and say that nobody likes a broken promise. We don't like to make a promise and then break it. That feels terrible. And even worse, when somebody's made a promise to us and they break it, uh, that makes us feel terrible. Nobody likes that. Now, we don't usually think about sin as a broken promise. We think about sin as wrong, which it is. We may think about sin as being hurtful, which it is. But even more than those things, sin is a broken promise. A promise that is broken to us, and even worse, a promise that we break with God. And that's much worse than we may realize. It's what made Adam and Eve's disobedience to God so devastating. God had given them everything, and they had a covenant relationship with Him, a promise. If we understood about sin, that it breaks our promise with God. Maybe if we understood that, if we understood the reality Behind what we call sin, maybe we would avoid it more than we do. Sin indeed breaks a promise. Sin breaks its promise with us, but even more significantly, sin breaks our promise with God. Let's take a look at both of those realities as it relates to what's often called the original sin related here in the third chapter of Genesis. We're going to start in verse 4. First of all, sin breaks its promise to us. That's the foundational truth about sin. If we saw sin for what it really was, if we saw it for what the lie is, we'd never do it. Obviously, that's not how temptation works. Genesis chapter 3 gives us the full picture. Now, we looked at this, the first part of this last week in verses 1 through 3, where the serpent comes to Adam and Eve and, and, and tries to pull the wool, or maybe it scales, over their eyes. He misquotes God's command. He says, did God really say you must not eat from any fruit of any tree in the garden? A total misquotation of what God actually said. And and then Eve tries to correct that error, but she gets it wrong as well, saying that God not only told them not to eat from the tree of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, but not even to touch it, which God never actually said that. So now that the serpent has Eve and Adam as well, all confused, he he moves from just misquoting God's word to an outright lie. Verse 4, you will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Here the serpent moves from just misquoting Scripture to a complete fabrication. None of this is true. And there really was no reason for Adam nor Eve to believe any of this. Opening your eyes, or what he was saying, is if you eat this this fruit, you're going to know everything. Well, even if you know everything, that doesn't mean that all of a sudden you get smarter. You can know a lot of stuff and still do some really dumb things. The fact is, Adam and Eve already knew right from wrong. They knew what God had told them. They knew God had told them not to eat from the fruit of that tree. 
They already knew what the serpent was saying. They would know if they ate from that fruit. Increasing one's intelligence doesn't make you like God, which is what the serpent said to them. If you know all this stuff, you'll be just like him. No, you won't. Knowing how the world was created and creating the world are two very different things. And that only scratches the surface of who God is. Adam and Eve could know everything there was to know about good and evil and still not even be close to God. And not to mention the biggest lie of all. The whole reason that God had warned them away from this fruit was because he knew if they ate of it, they would die. He wasn't trying to keep something from them. He was trying to keep them from death. And that's exactly the point. Sin brings death. The serpent was lying on both fronts. They would not become like God. And they would, in fact, die, which is exactly how temptation works. It moves us from questioning whether or not something that God said was really true to the acceptance of something that is absolutely false. Just look at the last time you disobeyed God. Now, we can be honest. I mean, it's what the Bible says. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's nobody here that's perfect. We could admit that. So just take a look at the last time you didn't do what you knew God wanted you to do. How'd that work out? Was it everything you wanted it to be? Was it a promise fulfilled? Or did you come away from that experience emptier than what you thought it would be? Did you come away with less than you had before? That's what sin does. Sin makes this extraordinary promise. That's an outright lie. Every time. There are things that happen happen in life that are going to happen every single time. We don't have to wonder about it. We don't have to think, okay, maybe this time it's going to... We know what's going to happen. For example, if I drop this book, every time I drop it, it's going to hit the floor. Every time. Not nine out of ten times. Not the majority of times. Every time I drop it, it's going to hit the floor. It's never going to hit the ceiling. It's never going to fly out into the parking lot. Every time, it's going to wind up right there on the floor. We we can know that. There's something you can know. Sin will break its promise every time. Every time. Whatever temptation it is that you're facing, whatever promise that you have been made, whatever you think is going to be different this time, it's going to be just the same. Every single time. That's as true for us as it was for Adam and Eve. Sin lies. Sin breaks its promise to us. 
But there's another promise that sin breaks. Sin breaks our promise with God. And that was the real sin for Adam and Eve. Eating the fruit of that tree, that was just the symptom. The real sin was that they broke their covenant, their promise with their Creator. Their promise was really very, very simple. God had given them Everything they could possibly need. Everything. They had the entire Garden of Eden at their disposal. The one thing they were to avoid was the one thing in the garden that would kill them. And that was the very thing that they did. They broke their covenant with God. Eating the fruit was really just the result. They bought into the lie of the serpent. That God had somehow been withholding something from them. That God had somehow cheated them. That somehow their life would be better outside of their promise with God. Not so much. Now the fruit looked really good. The, the argument that the serpent made sounded reasonable if you didn't think about it too much. So Adam and Eve broke their promise. They turned their backs on God. And they sold out for a piece of fruit. And immediately, immediately, they saw how they had been sold a bill of goods. Verse 7, then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Adam and Eve traded their innocence for shame. They traded their purity for guilt. Their eyes were open, but what they saw wasn't what they had anticipated for the first time in their life. They were ashamed. They were uncomfortable. And not only was their relationship with God changed, their relationship with each other was changed. They felt uncomfortable in front of each other. Their broken fellowship with God directly impacted their relationship with each other. And their attempt at fashion reveals the lunacy of our trying to fix the problem of our sin on our own. We can no more cover our guilt than Adam and Eve's fig leaves could cover theirs. But that's what sin does. When we buy into the lie, we immediately realize the consequences of what we've done. We immediately realize, whoa, This didn't quite work out the way that I thought it was going to. And that only leads to more missteps. We think we can hide the stain of our sin. We think we can cover up our shame. Just like Adam and Eve thought they could hide behind their fig leaves. We got to go see my granddaughter yesterday. Always an enjoyable time to go see a granddaughter. She's getting old enough now that she likes to play peekaboo. Now, now, we've been doing that ever since she was born, but at first she couldn't figure out 
So why are you holding your hands in front of your face? I don't get this. But now, now she's kind of figured it out. And she plays along with the gang. She'll hide behind stuff. and She'll cover up with a little blanket. Or she'll, she'll just, and just think that's so funny. Even though she still has a little bit of trouble, she puts the blanket on the back of her head and thinks she's hidden. But, you know, it's still okay. Because... We know, you know, granddad's not really gone behind his hands. He's still there, and, and the make-believe's part of the fun. Plus, it's just really fun to say, peekaboo. <laughs> Adam and Eve attempted to play peekaboo with each other, and ultimately with God. They quickly discovered that the fig leaves did nothing to hide their sin. Nothing. Their shame and their guilt was still there. It's why later on in the story we'll see them hiding from God. They realized their relationship with God was broken. And no fig leaf was going to cover that. And that's the devastation of sin. Make no mistake, it always has the same consequence every single time. Now, sin does result in hurt, it results in anguish, it results in devastation, it results in guilt, it results in all of those things. But ultimately, the devastation of sin is not just the consequences that follow. That's the thing that we see and the thing that we note. And it's absolutely true that sin does have terrible consequences, but that's really not the worst part. The worst part is what it does in our relationship with God. We sometimes toy with the idea of sin, thinking that this time it's going to be different. But it never is. Genesis 3 takes off the blinders for us. But there's good news. Okay, the Bible doesn't stop at Genesis chapter 3. Aren't we glad for that? (laughs) Because there is something, and you may have already thought of it, there is something that will keep this book from hitting the floor. If somebody gets between and catches it. And that's exactly what Jesus has done for you and me. Every time, our sin, same thing. Every single time. Every single time. It separates us from God. Every single time. It brings on death. Every single time. That never changes until Jesus steps in. Romans 5, 8 tells us, But God demonstrates His own love for us in this While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were headed to destruction, Jesus steps in and takes our pain. (laughs) Jesus did what we could not. His sacrifice doesn't just cover our sin. Takes it away. He takes our guilt, our shame on him. There is reason why we call him Savior and Lord. Because that's exactly who he is. I want to thank all of you who were praying for your ones over over the month of October. Hope you don't stop that. We didn't want to just do it for a month. 
Well, I've heard some wonderful stories about how God worked in, in that, that circumstance. Some of you, your ones came last week, and we rejoice for that. Uh, some of you have had opportunities to go out to dinner with, with folks or to sit down with someone and just have a conversation about the gospel. I had a wonderful conversation with, with my one that, that when the conversation started, I didn't really know where exactly it was going to go, but it turned out to be the Lord just, just worked in that, and I think God's working in their life. And, I, I'm excited to see how that's going. So thank you for doing that. And just keep, keep praying. Keep watching for those ones in your life that you can be, be praying for. But, but this morning, I, I, I'm going to challenge you to do something a little more inward than that. And this is a hard one. This, this is tough. This is, this is really, really hard if you do this. Because it hurts a little bit. It hurts a little bit. It hurts a lot. Ask God to show you how your sin is a broken promise. Just ask God to show you your sin for what it really is. And then remember what the Bible says in 1 John 1 9. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just. Forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We know that verse. We've, we've heard it, uh, some of us, hundreds and hundreds of times. But we forget how powerful that is because sometimes we forget how ugly our sin really is. If we will just stop for a moment and say, God, take the blinders off for just a moment. And I don't want to focus on this. I, I, I don't want this to be any more than it needs to be for me to understand it. But God, just show me my sin for what it really is. Not the lie that the world shows, that, that there's just a little consequence and then it'll be over and you'll get away with it. it no, God, take all of those blinders off. Let me see sin for what it really is. And then, God, let me see your cleansing and forgiveness for what it really is. Because as God opens our eyes to the real truth, and we see our Savior and Lord for the extraordinary thing He has done, we will have no choice but to give Him praise and glory.